I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Liverbird Sailing Podcast. And a special thank you to my Patreons who are supporting the show on a monthly basis. If you find value in the show, please consider joining this lovely group of people. Just check out the link in the description or go to patreon.com forward slash Liverbird Sailing Podcast to see some extra content and behind the scenes updates. This week, there will be some extra content from this very episode. Now, on with the show. Here's what's coming up next. And we were cruising. We hit one at like two knots, and then we hit one at like five knots. Uh, so at least we know our boat's pretty strong because we didn't get any any damage. I've dove the boat since. So that was a low point. You know, we, you know, hitting icebergs was not great. But again, we, you know, it's inspiring to know that our boat's pretty, pretty stout. We can hit those things and not sink Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. Today we are talking all about Alaska with Mark and Sharon from Sailing Nyad. They are Pacific Northwest sailors who did an epic trip to British Columbia through the inside passage to Alaska. There is talk about glaciers and hot springs and how to plan and prepare your boat for a trip like this. But really, this is a story of a family who loves to travel. And indeed, today we are talking to a young family. So a heads up that even though it's the adults that do the talking, you'll hear some, shall we say, contributions from the young ones in the background. And a fun little tidbit, Mark and Sharon were actually sailing while we did this interview, so Starlink really does work as well as they say. Now, here we go with Mark and Sharon. 
maybe we'll start with a little bit of an introduction. So uh, I know you have a couple of kids there. You have、uh, a bit of an animal kingdom there with <laughs> cats and dogs and all that. So who do we have on board、uh, your boat? Well,、uh, we've got two kids. So、I'll, I guess I'll start by saying we have way more living things on the boat that we <laughs> ever intended to. Uh, we we kind of had fertility issues in the past, and so we got two big dogs that were kind of our children. And、uh, lo and behold, we we lucked out and were able to get pregnant somewhat recently. And、uh, so now we're living with two dogs. We've got a 150 pound Newfoundland,、uh, who's just he's probably the better boat dog because he doesn't do a whole lot on the yeah, boat. He, he doesn't need a lot of exercise. Yeah,、um, and then we've got a Australian Shepherd mix. And that one, he's got a lot of energy, <laughs> but but they do pretty well on the boat. And then、um, you know we had、uh, in the past we had ten acres down in Oregon, so we got barn cats, and they slowly became house cats. And we now have a boat cat. A boat cat. <laughs>、uh, she's just a gray, a gray long hair, and、uh, and our kids are oh man, pretty. Kennedy's three. She's almost three, and Blakely will be turning one at the very end of our trip. Yeah. Yeah, that's、so、when parental leave ends. <laughs> yeah, everyone we met on the trip、uh, was like, "Wow, how the hell are you doing this <laughs> with all those dogs and and kids?" But、uh, it's pretty easy when you have enough space. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of space, what kind of a boat do you have then? So our、uh, our latest boat is a、uh, in an older. It's about a fifty year old boat, nineteen seventy three Maple Leaf. Not a lot of people know about them. They they were built up in Vancouver by Cooper Yachts,、um, and they I think they made them from like early 1970s till late 1980s. Pretty long run of them, but they're really nice for the Northwest because they have a huge enclosed cockpit.、Um, it's not a pilot station, but、uh, it's got enough staterooms and a couple、uh, a couple bathrooms that we have enough space. And it's a center cockpit, so my wife and I can stay in the aft area. Or, Our oldest toddler is up in the front,、uh, being independent, and、uh, so it gives us a bit of breathing room. Yeah, and the cockpit's a great place for the kids to play. It, like we said, it's enclosed and it's got like high walls and gates, so they can just roam around in here while we're under sail, and they're safe. We know they're safe. We don't have to worry. They can have all their toys up here, and it's a great place for them to grow up. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of.、Um, I'd say、uh, I definitely encourage anyone with kids looking at shopping. I mean, a little bit of a tangent, but、uh, definitely looking at center cockpits because it's just you can kind of do your sailing thing and let them roam around like in a giant playpen, which is the center cockpit, and、uh, not have to worry about them so much. When the weather gets a little bit worse, they they generally go down below. But、um, but yeah, it's been a really great boat for us. Yeah, I mean that's certainly a lot to keep an eye out as well because you have the dogs and the cat and two kids, so you're gonna have to be aware of where everybody is at a certain time. So I'm sure that makes for some interesting sailing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say the least, it can be a little stressful, but when when it really hits the fan, yeah, I won't curse. I'll try not to. <laughs> I bet him have a potty mouth, but.、Uh, It it turns into Sharon generally watches the kids just because if we're healing really hard and it's getting rough,、uh, we don't want them falling across the cabin. It's got a pretty big beam, and that's one of the downsides to it.、Um, so we we have someone watching the kids, making sure they're okay, and then it turns into me kind of single handing, and it's a lot of boat to single hand. But、uh, luckily, the previous owner put a lot of nice features on here, like、um, electric winches,、um, a lot of self tailing winches for、uh, controlling the reefing. So it's really easy to control it, even though it's forty-eight feet. Yeah, exactly. Well, how did you 
get into this? You mentioned you had a farm and now obviously you have a slightly less room. Yeah, it's still a big boat, but a little bit less room. So how did you get into the sailing lifestyle? Oh man, yeah, we, uh, yeah, kind of to take it full circle, not to, not to give you too much of an explanation, but um, I grew up, I grew up boating. My, uh, we came from the dark side, power boating. My family every year would come up to Desolation Sound for about a month or two. And we'd kind of just uh, gunk hole around. Uh, and so I grew up around boats. I learned pretty much everything about boating other than sailing, right? So a lot applies uh, nautical navigation, anchoring, docking, just general boat safety. Uh, so I, I kind of had that coming into sailing. And then I um, just out of necessity started teaching myself to sail in high school because I didn't have any money. And me and my buddies wanted to go, uh, go up to the San Juans and kind of spend some time on our summer break. Um, but uh, we just didn't have money for, you know, yeah. driving a big powerboat around or any of that. So I taught myself to sail. And uh, first boat was a WD Shock 21, Santana 21. They're really great, like miniature, full fin keel uh, sailboats that kind of miniaturizes a big cruising boat. So it's really great to learn on. And then Sharon, if you want to, your yeah, background. I, I actually grew up nowhere near the water. I grew up in Southern Oregon where farming and ranching were... My every summer I was out bucking hay. Um, then I went up to college and that's where Mark and I met and he was into water. So I, of course, like a typical girlfriend, was like, cool, let's do this and jumped aboard and learned how to sail with him. And that, been that's been of, a while. Yeah. yeah. So we we graduated. Uh, we met in college and business class and uh, I think 2008, 2009 yeah. uh, started dating. And then when we graduated in 2010, uh, we decided to buy our first Bigger big boat, boat um, which was a, a great introductory big boat because it was cheap and um, and not very intimidating, which was a 36-foot Hunter Legend, uh, 1988. Really, I really love that boat, even though people trash hunters. <laughs> they uh, kind of have a bad reputation, but... It was great. You know, if it you don't plan on sailing around the world and you just intend to use it in the Northwest, it was, it was perfect. Um, really great boat to learn on. Uh, we had that for a couple years, ended up selling it after we put some work into it. And we were moving to California. Yeah. So we've had like this cyclical relationship with sailing. We we do it for a couple of years and then something calls us away and then we come back to it. And that's happened like three times. Yeah. So that time I got a job to work um, with Apple down in Cupertino. Um, I'm an architect by trade. Um, so I was doing kind of high-end residential work or uh, retail work for them. And uh, we lived in Cupertino for a couple of years. Didn't make sense to have the boat up in the Northwest. So we sold it. Um, and then we just were missing it missing it so we <laughs> after a couple of years down there we we're like oh we need to get back to the northwest you need to get a boat again this is not right so we ended up buying a um a Genoa sunshine 36 down there and we got a really good deal on it and we were able to truck that from california up to pacific northwest we worked on that for oh it was in really rough shape so um we spent about three months fixing it up when we expected to only work on it for I don't know, maybe a month. Yeah, <laughs> it just <laughs> turned, took a little bit longer than that. <laughs> it turned into a, it was a typical boat project, typical boat projects. You know, it's like times it by 300 and or three, <laughs> you know, 300% of what you expect. Um, so we kind of, we were young at the time, didn't have a lot of money. We ran out of money. So we, we got the boat fixed and we were living aboard. Um, that was Sneaking in aboard. 2012 or so. And yeah. kind of before we even really knew anything about live aboards or that you could even do it. Um, we were just kind of, we did it, it out of necessity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just didn't have a home. We were out of money. And that boat was perfect for us. We 
we fixed it up with the intent of doing the inside passage. And uh, we lived aboard while working various jobs, trying to earn money. And then um, I took off in 2014 to do the inside passage on that boat. And uh, Sharon at the time uh, had a really good job she really liked. And so she didn't want to quit it. I quit my job. Well, semi quit. <laughs> they agreed to let me take three months off. And then it turns out I ended up quitting before I went back, <laughs> which I feel bad about because it was a really great job. But um, but yeah, that was the first trip. So I did uh, I did it solo in 2014, uh, up and back and then um, loved it so much. That was the whole reason I decided to even marry Sharon. We weren't married at the time. And uh, it's just such a profound, well, when you do it solo too, it's like very self-reflective and you feel very small in the shadow of these huge granite peaks that you're sailing under. And, uh, and it just kind of made me realize I got to marry that girl. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I had been dilly dallying for a while. I think we had been dating for like eight years or something and, uh, it was time. So I, we, I proposed when I got back and we got married on that boat, uh, eloped and had it for a few years and, um, did the farm thing, after that boat in 20, we moved down to Southern Oregon, like 2014. Yeah. Like that. We kept it for a little while, but it didn't make sense. Again, we were away from the boat. It was in the Northwest. And so we sold it. Um, and all the boats we've sold, we've kind of made up our costs. So a little bit of profit on them. So it's kind of helped out. We've been saving a little bit between boats. And um, and then we were in Southern Oregon for two years. Really loved it. Did the homestead, homestead kind of lifestyle. We had pygmy goats, like 30 chickens. <laughs> I just, uh, I think, yeah, seven, seven acres. Uh, we always say 10 just to round up, but it's actually seven. Um, really loved it. But the forest fires down there kind of drew, drew us away. We were, yeah. we were always... hard to live in the evacuation zone every summer. So Yeah, yeah. We were... Every summer we were in the evacuation zone and just didn't enjoy summer. So we... Um, the water was calling again. <laughs> water was calling again. Yeah. So we moved back to Washington, bought a Dufour 31, like immediately. Yeah. Like day three back yeah. up here, we bought a boat. <laughs> yeah. Which was a great boat uh, for us at the time. We didn't know we could get pregnant. We'd been trying for years. So we just had two dogs and um, it's like, oh, this would be a perfect, you know, small pocket cruiser for cruising around. And then literally, like, I don't know, two, three months later, you found out you're pregnant, which is amazing. Uh, we'd been trying for so long, um, but it quickly made that boat very small. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh. The gonna... shopping began. <laughs> yeah, well, we had it for a little while. We did some winter cruising on it. Um, and we outfit that boat for going to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can kind of get into this. This is kind of long, uh, long-winded explanation, but there's kind of a lot to it. But the way we were able to do the trip to Alaska was parental leave. So Washington state allows you up to six months unpaid from your employer. It's kind of a guaranteed right for the father or the mother. Uh, and up to three of that, you can have subsidized from the state. And that came into effect, I think sometime 2019, like yeah, really, right a year that. before we had a kid. So with Kennedy, uh, we decided we wanted to take three months off. Um, we got subsidized pay through the state and, we were going to shoot off for um, Alaska. So we outfit the Dufour just top to bottom ready for the trip. We got radar on it, AIS, uh, redundant systems for depth sounders. I think we had like a new sail for it. Um, Davits, like the whole bit. It was just it was ready. new electronics, the whole thing. We kind of really outfit it to make it comfortable. And then COVID hit. So in 2020, the border closed down. We couldn't go up to Alaska People were saying you could possibly just straight shot it if you didn't stop or anything. And it just didn't seem like 
British Columbia is a big part of it. And we didn't want to miss out on that. So we decided we'd just gunk hole around for three months on that boat. But then we were like, well, you know, we got three months off, that'd be a good time to maybe upgrade the boat because, you know, it's getting small and we wanted to have two kids eventually. Uh, so we just started looking around as you do. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, we found this boat. We we're actually looking at a few and um, we kept looking at the Endeavor 51 down in Everett for a while. Like we, we went aboard this one boat that was for sale a little bit out of our budget, but uh, we viewed it maybe three or four times and just like, it just didn't quite feel right. You know, when you, when you get aboard the boat that you want, it's like, it clicks. You know it's like, instantly that it's your I, boat. I want this boat. Yeah. yeah I need this boat. That's there's some compromises and there's things to it always. Sorry. But yeah, but yeah you just get that feeling like this feels right. And we, when we got aboard um, Nyadis, we we always do videos of when we're touring boats. Just because when you're looking at the boat, you're so excited. You like just don't see a lot of the details in what you're looking at. Um, so we one thing we always advise people to do is take a GoPro, take your phone, whatever, and slowly like just pan around slowly so you can go back home after you see the boat and really dive into some of the things you would definitely miss if you're just walking on it excited the first time. <laughs> I remember on that video, I was just like, we were both like, oh man, let's buy this boat. We were yeah. talking like what we we're going to offer them and all this. <laughs> and, uh, and it worked out. We got, um, I mean, we really lucked out with this boat. I think we had a budget of like a hundred thousand dollars we had saved up. Um, yeah. and the boat was old, so you couldn't really get a loan on it. Um, made it hard to sell for the owner. I think, uh, he was asking a hundred grand for it and, um, or just under that, like, 90 something yeah. and we we went back and forth we offered him like 60 and uh i think we went under a contract for like 65 mm -hmm. and um it was a bit of a stretch for us because we know old boats you got to put a lot of money into them and we were trying to save a big enough cushion that we wouldn't go broke fixing, fixing it, up, it up like we yeah. had in the past <laughs> uh, so we uh we felt comfortable, but it was a bit of a stretch and we both agreed you know if anything comes up on the survey we're gonna we're just gonna walk away and the owner, uh, we ended up finding like one little issue with this boat, which we both agreed. It has a um, cord hull, so below the waterline, but it's fortunately not balsa. It was the first time they used um, closed cell foam. So um, it should hold up, but we've heard, we had heard like horror stories of, of it getting wet and people having to delaminate the sides of the boat to dry it out and just super expensive procedure. And so we agreed if there's any moisture from the survey, we're just going to walk away. Um, we had a really yeah. good surveyor and he was sounding the hole and he found a court in the quarter section. He found an area of either delamination or moisture. And we just, we stuck to our guns. We said, we're going to walk away. This is not, you know, it's too much of an unknown. We're at the limit. We can't afford it. We didn't want to, you know, try and offer him even, even less. He had owned the boat for 25 years and you could tell he really loved it. Um, and we just said, we, you know, just, we really love it. Just not going to work out. And it was really hard walking away. We, we were really passionate about it. But I think out of charity, that's the only thing I can think is he called us up like that night and said, you know, I really think you guys are the perfect fit for this boat. What do you say if I just give it to you for 25K? And we were just like, oh, deal. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. So we really lucked out with it. And, you know, at the time we were like, oh, what the hell's wrong with this boat? You know, he's why is he selling it to us for 25K? There must be something wrong, but we'll roll the dice anyway. And we've owned it for two years now, and I've run through every system. I think I've done everything on it. I've done core samples, and it wasn't even wet. It was just uh, like a delamination from probably manufacturing. Um, 
so we really lucked out. He's he put a lot of effort into this boat, so we haven't really had to do a lot to get it outfit for Alaska. Yeah. But yeah, this probably will be our our forever home for at least the next ten years. Yeah, We're planning on perfect. taking it down to Mexico, and then possibly uh, Marquesas. Uh, we bought the charts to like <laughs> plan our route. Yeah, <laughs> yeah after <laughs> Alaska, I mean, I will sell Alaska, but after a. Uh, a summer up there, you really start dreaming about like tropical beaches <laughs> and warm weather. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of on our mind right now. But anyway, really long story for our history. That's kind of our background. Wow, what a cool a like evolution of your boat journey going from one boat to another to another. And B, that is an amazing deal. I I was already impressed that you were offering sixty five on a boat that was asking 90 something and he got it for 25 that is mind-blowing we're pretty good at finding <laughs> the amazing. right boats to get some some really good deals for yeah us. i would say i mean we've lucked out i mean we we want to chat about alaska um so we'll i won't go on too much of a tangent but i think every boat we've bought it's been a quarter or like a third to a quarter of the asking price um there's just kind of a strategy to it. We lucked out on this one. We didn't. We kind of went off the rails. Yeah, this one's a crazy one. <laughs> this was just like charity. The guy just probably was like, "Oh, these poor kids. <laughs> Let's give them a boat." You know, they got this nice family. I think the the trick is you just have to borrow kids when you go boat shopping. <laughs> yeah, it's something about it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, all right, so. Alaska, definitely. Let's talk about that. Uh, you mentioned a few times now that you know the the boats that you had were outfitted for Alaska. So I'm curious to hear about your planning for that trip. Obviously, it was a long trip of four months. So how did you plan for it, and and what did you do to your boat to make it sure it was good for it? Yeah, I we kind of learned a bit from my first trip doing it, and uh, kind of leveraged that for the next trip. I mean, honestly. You could take a bear boat up there. It's just not going to be as enjoyable. <laughs> really, everything you do is just for either safety or comfort. The first boat I did it on, just as a preface, it was a, kind of a racer cruiser. Uh, didn't have a heater, didn't have a dodger. Um, I think I had radar. I didn't have AIS and just a depth sounder. And I was able to do it, but, you know, like the whole time I was cold and miserable. It rains so much. You get like one day of sun every week. And so I just, it'd be like a yard sale at get all my clothes drying out and my uh my sleeping bag so i would say even in the summer you'd you'd want a heater to dry your boat out if for the comfort factor i would say like a must-have list is radar obviously sonar but i would i would encourage redundant sonar in case it goes out um it's relatively cheap to put in a second transducer and you can get ones that shoot through the hole so you don't have to do a you know drill another hole in your boat and uh AIS is another thing. AIS, I'd highly encourage. A lot um, of people don't have it, but we definitely found it very useful. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Especially I would radar and then AIS. Um, and then in terms of weather routing, um, we bought an Iridium Go for the trip. And um, I'm not a huge fan of the Iridium Go now that we have Starlink. <laughs> so, you know, we picked up Starlink when we were on the trip, but um, I would say some way to get weather forecasts uh predict wind or windy or or anything like but to be able to compare some models uh they do house have alaska hrr uh which is you know it predicts 48 hours in advance but we found that to be really accurate for some of the in little channels and things um but vhf one thing to know is like vhf some of the little the fjords you go into you can't get vhf weather reception so you need some way 
either uh, you know a sat phone to call someone to to be able to download that for you, or a, a way to download it. Um, and having that resource, which I didn't have in 2014, I mean, we I don't think we ever hit any bad weather. We were able to time it. So, like, if there was a blow going through, we just sit out and wait it out in an anchorage, you know, a beautiful anchorage, fishing and crabbing and shrimping. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely just, didn't have any weather surprises. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, common things that you would have on a cruising boat, but maybe people wouldn't think, you know, a sat phone for Alaska. But um, I would I would encourage some way to get weather is a big one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are important things to, to have and, and be aware of. Are there any permits or anything like that required for that? Or can anyone just go at any time, do whatever? So Glacier Bay was one of our um, itinerary goals. Uh, and Glacier Bay, it's got a couple of things to know about it. Um, it has, a, there's a permit required if you go there after sometime in June. We were trying to remember the dates, but um, they also changed. they have it. But it's good to double check us. Don't <laughs> we'll say broad dates, but sometime before June, you can just go in without a permit. But it's really hard to get that far north unless you leave really early, like April. So between June and I think like September, you need a permit to go in. And they do two permit operations. They have a advance permit, which you can apply for sixty days in advance of when you intend to enter the park. But it's really hard to do. You have to, they open up at 7 a.m. and you have to submit it like at 7 a.m. via email, have it all, the application filled out, ready to go and shoot it off. And you also have to know when you intend to be there. And that's, yeah, I think, the that's the tricky part. bit. Yeah. So 60 days out, we applied for it and we got denied. I think we shot it off at like 7.05 and it was just for a busy time sometime in July. So we just, we won it and we were going for the short term permit. So they also have, they hold a, a select few for just a couple days advance. So you can get up to Juno or Huna, you know, somewhere close by where you can get into the park in a couple days. Uh, and then you can apply for a permit for two days in advance of your entry. And that's what we ended up getting. And we heard horror stories of people waiting weeks to get that. We lucked out and we got it our first day. We actually, we totally fumbled the ball and we submitted our application at 7 a.m., the two days before, and I emailed it, but our email apparently wasn't working. And I called to verify that they had gotten it. And they said, nope, we didn't get it, but we'll take it over the phone now. And it was like 730. It's like, well, there's no way we're going to get it now. But um, apparently we hit it during a lull and we were able to get it anyway. So uh, it kind of kind of depends, but you can go for those two. I, the short term is just easier because it's hard to forecast how quick your pace is going to be getting up that far. Um, but that's the that's the permit process getting in there. And then anyone with dogs, like in our situation or pets, um, you can't take them to shore. So one thing that is crucial is to, uh, get your dogs to go on the bow or, you know, on your stern turf, turf trained on your boat, uh, cause you can't take them to shore. And I would definitely encourage anyone with dogs to do that anyway, even if you're not going to Glacier Bay, because there's so many times we've been anchored out and there's like, oh, there's just three grizzly bears on shore. And our dogs, my dog looks like a grizzly bear. So, you know, <laughs> he would just be like, oh, hey, buddy, you know, and just walk up to him, I'm sure. So there were a lot of times we just didn't even take the dogs to shore or the, the topography is just so steep, too. You can't even it would just be a real challenge to get your dogs on shore with the with a skiff. So um, if you have animals, definitely try and get them uh, bow train. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. The interesting about that Glacier Bay with the restrictions on, on dogs uh, and also the permit, and I guess it's just because it's a national park area. Yeah. 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 So it's, they just don't want dogs, you know, defacing. Uh, it's just similar to... Uh, like some parks and stuff, they just don't let dogs. It's uh, it's probably for the better. There's yeah. lots of wildlife on shore um, that you probably don't want your dogs on shore anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. And obviously, I've seen your photos from that area and from the trip in general, and they look fantastic. Uh, one thing I don't see in the photos is the mosquitoes and bugs and whatever flying creatures there are. Oh, so they're how there. Bad are they? Just can't see them. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, do we want people to go to Alaska or not? <laughs> we want to tell them what to expect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I um, it wasn't as bad this year. But like when I did in 2014, I was just constantly attacked because I didn't we didn't have a, um, a Dodger any way to escape them. So honestly, the worst bit which I didn't get in 2014 at all was uh, horse flies. Yeah, those um, are terrible. So yeah, we would get, uh, we lucked out with Glacier Bay where we got just a week of nothing but sun. It was amazing, except for the fact that when the sun comes out, the horse flies come out in droves. It was insane. We had um, some buddy boats that also didn't have an enclosure and they, they left the park early because they just couldn't handle it. They were getting attacked and uh, there's no way to escape them. So I would say there's that. Bring a lot of fly swatters and uh, have fun with it. If you have some way to button up your boat, you know, like I'd really encourage people to do a companion way screen or get screens for all your vents because when it gets hot, it gets hot and you need to be able to open it up without getting swarmed by bugs. Um, and then there's also, um, you know, there's mosquitoes, but honestly, they're not any bigger than the state, like the Continental 48. Yeah. Um, there's always these horror stories of like, oh, mosquitoes so big, you'd ride them or whatever. <laughs> but you'd really don't. I mean, we don't get that in Southeast Alaska, maybe further North Alaska, but um, not really down here. Yeah. But the one thing you do get are uh, no seams. So, so that's uh, the no seams are pretty brutal and they can get through some smaller screens. So um, those are so be fair warned. Those are the bugs. <laughs> Okay, okay, the warning is out there now. That's that's fair enough. So obviously the trip from the Pacific Northwest up to Alaska includes the whole inside passage unless you're really going around Vancouver Island. So maybe can you explain and describe a little bit what is the inside passage? Because a lot of people probably have heard of it, but may not actually know yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, I don't know if I, I'll, I'll do my best to give in like a good clear definition of it. But um, essentially, it's the safe water route from the Pacific Northwest all the way up to Southeast Alaska. And it goes through the west side of British Columbia. So 
there's only two areas that you really have to be exposed to ocean swell, depending on where you go. But if you really want to be play it safe, there's um, rounding Cape Caution, just north of Vancouver Island. Uh, it's about a day crossing around the Cape, and it can get really rough. I mean, people have lost their lives doing that um, from unexpected gales and things. So it it's not to be taken lightly, but if you just plan it with a weather window, it's a piece of cake. And uh, East Dixon Entrance, which is north of Prince Rupert, between Prince Rupert and going to Ketchikan. And that is also notoriously, it can get bad. And the reason for it is it's both of those are shoaling seas. So it's not, it goes from, you know, thousands and thousands of feet to about a hundred feet. Uh, the waves can just build and build and get really steep and break. So it's just dangerous from that standpoint. If, if you're not being respectful of uh, the sea conditions or the wind, but again, you just, you just wait it out as long as you have time. I mean, that's the big thing. Just give yourself time. And then uh, those aren't, you know, any huge issue, but there are also routes. So that's the inside passage route and it's protected, but there are also routes you can take that are semi-protected that are called considered like the inside outside. Oh, yeah. And you just get little sections of exposed to the ocean, but um, you get away from, you know, boating crowds and stuff. Uh, there's just like a lifetime of cruising up there, but that's generally the, the area. If you're looking at a, a general map. Right, exactly. So it's uh, it sounds like it might be a little bit of a, a challenge, but is it difficult to navigate? Like, are there a lot of, I don't know, a lot of little islands or currents or things like that to yeah. take into consideration in the planning? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say um, depends where you're coming from. So, you know, if you've got experience boating in the Northwest, piece of cake. I mean, uh, if you're used to timing passages like narrows if you know to look at a current chart to make sure you're crossing at slack or or not at a point where it's going to be dangerous that's really all you have to do i mean you're there's a lot of areas where you do have kind of wicked currents that you need to time the, the rapids there's some sections like wrangle narrows where the current can run up to like five i think it's like five or six knots so and it's it's not dangerous but if you're if you're going against that current, you're obviously, you know, motoring at six knots, you can't make any progress in a sailboat. So you just have to time it. And all the guidebooks tell you how to do it. So like Wrangell narrows it on a, on a flood, it comes in from the south and then it ebbs out to the north, like at a midway point. So you try and time it coming in to hit that midway point right at slack. So you're catching the flood in and then you catch the ebb out and you get like a crazy boost of speed. So like we, you generally have to motor it cause it's a really narrow navigational passage um but like we motor at six knots and i think that whole trip we were doing like eight nine knots because we had a boost of current with us the whole way so you just want to you want to time those things but there's a great resource of other boaters and if you're unfamiliar with it you can ask people at the dock like three days ahead of time because everyone's going the same way you know and hey uh when are you leaving or uh what, what's your plan for this so and it's kinda, a great community everybody's out there to help one another so. yeah you just take it day by day i mean you have a general idea of where you're going to be going and then you kind of just plan three days out and look at the currents three days out and the weather three days out it's, and it changes. So I would say uh, navigationally, just, you know, learning those things. If, if you're new to boating um, and you don't have a lot of experience under your belt, you know, just trying to do some of the, the rapids that are closer by like Dodd Narrows or something um, and just get comfortable with it maybe. Um, but it's really not difficult if you have any sort of boating experience in the Northwest. Like I, we've met so many people who have been boating for years in this area and they haven't gone north of like the Broughtons because the, 
crossing Cape Caution is kind of a concerning thing. You have to go out in the ocean and, you know, people just get kind of worried about it. But it just gets better and better. The more you like, if you just take that leap to go across Cape Caution, you get fewer boaters, the scenery is beautiful, you get anchorages to yourself. I mean, it just, uh, it's totally worth it. Uh, and it's one boater we, we met, he always refers to something as a easy burger or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've been saying that a lot. It's an easy burger. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not anything if you just time it right. Yeah, exactly. So with proper planning and preparation, it's not impossible. Just know what you're doing kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and even if you don't know what you're doing, it's, uh, <laughs> it's easy. I mean, there's so much information out there, um, that you can yeah. definitely learn before going. Um, if you just give yourself, the I don't, time I don't want to get people in trouble, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you don't, if you're intimidated by it, the idea of doing the inside passage, it's, I would encourage people not to be, it's not, it's not anything crazy. Um, there's not any really big challenges. It just, as long as you know, the basics of navigation, um, the only thing I would recommend to people is, um, just to be aware of is when you get further North, the charts are just completely inaccurate. So if you're used to, you know, cruising in the Northwest and you're like, um, you know, you hear people about hitting rocks in the Pacific Northwest, like in Seattle area, it's like, there's no way you hit a rock unless you just weren't looking at the chart. (laughs) So, uh, but when you get up to Alaska, like they'll have rocks indicated, but you read the guidebook and it's like, Oh, by the way, the rock on the charts, like a few hundred yards off or, Hey, by the way, there's like three rocks that aren't on the chart. Or by the way, (laughs) you know, the shoal extends out a few hundred yards well beyond what the charts show. I mean, it's just, they were all surveyed, I think like in the fifties. So things change. Um, And we even were guilty of it. We, we ended up grounding for the first time ever up on the east side or the west side of uh, Chichagoff, I think, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, Didrikson Bay. Yeah. We, which is notoriously poorly charted. There's tons of rocks. It's, you know, rough coastline. It's on the ocean side. So we did a little bit of outside cruising. We went from Sitka on the outside of Chichagoff up to Pelican and Elfin Cove. So we were kind of exposed to the ocean for a few days. Um, and there's a lot of little cool anchorages you can go in, in there. Um, but Didrikson was uh, a tricky one because we it was a shoaling head of a bay. And uh, just, you know, uniform, half circle kind of shoal on the chart. And typically, you know, if the shoals move, they move uniformly and kind of just, they progress, but they kind of keep the same shape as in the chart. Or so I thought, uh, so we did our typical thing, which is to try and find the chart or the, the shoal. So coming in at like 60 feet, we come in dead slow and try and find where it starts coming up. So we know how far we, we need to anchor off. And we were coming in on the West side and it went from 50, well, 60 feet started coming up to 50. We started doing our turns and, Oh, that's, you know, we see it starting to come up. And went from 50 feet to four feet. We grounded instantly. It was, it was the quickest shoal I've ever seen. And, and it was tricky because we came out on the west side. And it was uh, the shoal was in like a unicorn spire coming out in the middle of the bay. So we had favored one side. And as we turned to come around, we just ran dead into the shoal. Uh, nowhere in the guidebooks, nowhere in reviews, that anyone said anything about it. So we, um, But not a lot of people cruise out there. So... And we, <laughs> we hit it. I did just looked at the tide and we always try and come in on a shoal, um, on a rising tide so that we, if we do hit it, we can float off. And I had, we had just missed the high tide for like the next 24 hours and it was drying. And so we were like, Oh shit, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. No cussing. Oh shoot. <laughs> how do we get, off, how do we get off this shoal? Uh, the current pushed us on and we were, 
I, I was trying to reverse forward off of it. We couldn't get off of it. Uh, and I was just thinking, oh man, we're going to be stuck here for, we're going to get, because the tides are so extreme. It would have dropped 15 feet that day. We would have been on the hard, probably damaged our boat. We were just, so in a quick moment of brilliance, which are rare for me, <laughs> I, uh, we dropped our, our dinghy, which has the motor still on it. And we were able to leave it on the davits, um, and just motor our stern, like kind of like with a bow thruster or stern thruster. Yeah. We just, I threw it in reverse and we spun the stern off to where we could pull off the shoal. Um, but that just goes as to say, like we've been boating for a lot of years up in here, up in this area and, and people are still prone to those kind of mistakes. So just be really cautious when you start to get further North Alaska, even some parts of British Columbia aren't charted very well when you get further North. So don't, don't go in blind, like, you know, gunning it into these small anchorages, like fully confident the charts, right. Cause it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, those are super good tips. Cause obviously the more information or, you know, data you have at your disposal that you can look at off the surrounding environment, that's going to make everything easy. And I was going to ask you about your sort of your, you know, the, the highlights and the low points of your trip. So does that grounding count as a low point? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I don't know that it's a low point, though, because it's an experience that we learned from not just in like, a way for us to get off of that. But also, we learned that we can actually react pretty quickly. But uh, you know, it's anytime you have a close call, and you, you come away unscathed, it's like, okay, yeah. you know, you, you feel good about it. Uh, well, in retrospect, yes. But uh, I kind of pride myself on my captaining ability. So a lot of these like, you go, we saw 10 glacier thereabouts and um, uh, a few of them like Tracy's arm and, and uh, some in Glacier Bay. There's lots of huge bergy bits in the water, which um, anyone who is preparing for the trip, I read guides, they'll explain a lot of that. And I end up smacking two of them. <laughs> so I but you know, my ratio is we saw 10 glaciers hit two icebergs. That's not too bad. But we, <laughs> uh, they're big too. like we hit one that was uh, larger than a big beach ball. But they're crystal clear. They have no air in them. them. So you can't see them. And they and when they're that size, they sit right below the surface. So it's kind of like a, a terrifying deadhead. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and we were cruising. We hit one at like two knots and we hit one at like five knots. Uh, so at least we know our boat's pretty strong because we didn't get any any damage. I've dove the boat since. So that was a low point. You know, we, you know, hitting icebergs was not great. But again, we, you know, it's inspiring to know that our boat's pretty pretty stout we can hit those things and not sink still avoid them <laughs> but you know so there's there's that kind of stuff the highlights though oh man i there's so many yeah i don't know how long do we have <laughs> well i don't know what were some of your highlights um i would say my first highlight of the trip was definitely going down dean's channel to yukot hot springs um there we had, Mark says, thousands of dolphin. I would say multiple hundreds of dolphin. <laughs> no, you're dead Swimming wrong. with us. Yes, this <laughs> is a debate regularly. Um, but anyway, we were just surrounded by dolphins as we are sailing down this beautiful channel. And then we sail right into this incredible fjord with a hot spring and a bear on shore. And that was my first highlight of the trip. I would yeah, say. just like huge granite cliffs coming right down to the water. You're kind of anchoring in this basin. Um, and it was one of the times where we didn't have really a deep anchorage. So yeah. that was nice. Um, but yeah, Sharon's wrong. There were thousands of dolphins. <laughs> I took a video of it and I'm, 
I don't want to rub it into her, but I'm going to like freeze frame it and count all the fins because <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been boating up here a long time and I've seen dolphins like they'll swim at the end. Um, there are so many. I was I was blown away. They were just like as far as you could see, just uh, thousands, thousands. Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we'll agree that, to disagree. that was pretty cool. Sharon convinced me to go down there. De- Dean's channel is like a bit off the beaten path. And I was like, ah, you know, it's a day in there. We're probably gonna have to motor. Uh, I don't really want to be motoring down there. Can we just like hit it on the way back maybe? And it turned out to be like her best decision because we had nothing but great wins. Like, downwind sailing the way there and then downwind on the way back yeah and saw just a ton of wildlife and the hot springs were awesome yeah they were really great so that was our first i would say that was my first highlight of the whole trip yeah ford's terror was pretty fun too yeah i'd say ford's terror was probably my highlight so if for folks that don't know about ford's terror because i didn't really know much about it just google it it's really man it is the review on uh navionics is that it is the yosemite on water without all of the traffic and it is not wrong. It yeah, is not wrong. It's definitely, man, it's like anchoring. It is like anchoring in Yosemite. Uh, yeah, it's like dome. you're just it's, surrounded by a cathedral of granite cliffs that come right down to the water. And it's uh, more, it's a more difficult anchorage to get into. So there's hardly ever yeah, other boats. It's, it's, so there's only like slack, high water slack is really yeah. the only time you can get in. And there's no current t- charts for the passage. It's a really narrow, like, I don't know. 40 50 foot wide yeah, passage and it's when it's raging it's like a waterfall coming through the rapids so it drops i think like 10 feet from one end to the other so you obviously don't want to go through when it's raging but you just time it with i think it's like around 45 minutes to 60 minutes after high water slack in juno yeah you just sit outside and wait for it to go slack you can see the see the rapids and then you just kind of have 15 minutes window of where you can get through and it's about 20 feet when it's at high water mm-hmm. uh, depth and we actually um kind of a little bit of a tangent but we took our drone up it, anytime it wasn't raining which is not very often we have a we just have a mavic drone and we would take that thing up and park it, you know, 500 feet above whatever channel we're trying to go through. Because when you're up there with the drone, you can just put your your iPad on your chart table and and be able to see your boat and where the shoals are relative to your boat. So it's because we didn't have forward-looking sonar, that was a huge resource for getting in there. We, we were able to kind of scout it out where the shoals were before um, trying to approach it. Um, but man, yeah, we could talk about it for a long time. Like for me, all the like Tennessee Springs... On the outside of, so the day after we grounded in Didrikson on the west side of uh, Chichagov was White Sulphur Hot Springs. And for me, that was, the, there's a lot of hot springs up here, but that was the coolest hot spring. It's got a, uh, I think the, nat- the forest, forest Service built a recent really beautiful structure around the hot springs. And it's, um, yeah, it's right in front of the ocean. You've got like big swell coming in and it's got two huge sliding glass windows that you can open up to be, it's an enclosed hot spring, but you can open up these beautiful glass sliders and look out over the ocean and let the cool breeze come in and cool you off. And it's got a nice, you know, a nice concrete tub all the way around the hot springs. And we had it to ourselves for like three hours. We just were lounging in there and I could have stayed longer. <laughs> but that was a highlight for me. And, you know, Warm Springs Bay, there's all these like really cute communities um, that seem to congregate around hot springs. So like Tennessee Hot Springs, which is, you know, smart. You're in Alaska. Yeah, so I mean, uh, anyone that's looking to do it, I mean, we could write you a whole article on uh, <laughs> places to go. Yeah. And we've been thinking about doing just like a quick outline of things uh, for highlights for us so people can kind of look out for those because that's what we did. We 
we asked people like who had been up here, um, you know, what was your highlight? Like Ford's Terrace. Someone told us about Ford's Terrace that you have to go there. And we were kind of like, oh, okay. You know, and then we looked into it and did it and we're blown away. So it's really helpful to hear about other people's, you know, top spots. And, uh, but there's just so many, it's, uh, it's really hard to, you know, your, your podcast will be like three hours long. If we just say you're talking about <laughs> and there's a lot of editing. So it'll be nice. That, those are the highlights I think for us. All right. So it definitely sounds like a place worth going no matter what, because it looks and sounds amazing and so unique with all these hot springs and stuff. You know, they're a little bit different in glaciers and, you know, burger bits and all this, uh, you know, challenges, but also kind of a high reward situation there. But it sounds like it's been an amazing trip uh, up north. And obviously now you're on your well on your way back south. And are you planning on living aboard the boat now for the winter? Yeah, we're so our goal is our house is being rented out right now. Um, we did that to save some money while we were gone. So the tenants will be in the house until December. Then our goal from there is to kind of live in both places at once. We've got obviously a lot of projects we need to do. We broke some things. So for the coldest months of the year, we will be um, living on the boat and in the house so that we can get those projects taken care of and then fully back aboard in March again. Yeah. And and for folks that, uh, I mean, full disclosure, we don't have live aboard status um, like everyone who wants to live aboard there's four year long wait lists in the pacific northwest um so we're the way we do it is we just our marina lets us stay half the month right pretty standard 15 days out of the 30 days uh so we're pretty close to the san juans um we just uh, usually just take off at we're in the just outside our dock we can anchor out it's pretty good anchorage yeah so we just usually take off for you know a couple weeks um you know one week on one week off just to try and be nice to the marina. They generally are, you know, if we don't, if the weather's not great, they're like, ah, don't worry about it. Um, they're pretty loose, loose about it. But, but yeah, it's changed a lot. Like in 2014, we lived aboard and we, we just went up or uh, 2012, 2010, I guess, 2012. Yeah. Uh, we just went to the marina and said, Hey, we want to live aboard. They're like, yeah, cool. $50 extra a month. <laughs> no wait list. Like it just was a different world, but there's so many people who want to do it now. It's kind of a trend. Um, our long-term plan is we're going to uh, live aboard until we take off from Mexico, which we're shooting for 2024. Uh, we're waiting until the youngest gets old enough to hold on to things. And she's kind of at a dangerous age where she's like, she knows. Very brave. <laughs> yeah, she's fearless. She's learned how to climb up our companionway, but obviously doesn't like realize if you fall, you're probably going to die. <laughs> so it's kind of a battle. We're waiting until... Our youngest gets to the age of our oldest, which is perfect because she's she's safe about the boat. She knows the rules and uh, and uh, doesn't test them. So it's we're hoping um, hoping our youngest is that way. Though she's a little bit more. Um, she's a daredevil. She's a daredevil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good strategy to wait until everybody's old enough to be able to hold on to something properly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that all sounds so exciting with your, you know, obviously the trip that you've done, you know, and uh, fun winter aboard in the Pacific Northwest, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Mexico and the horizon. Uh, where can people follow you or guys' journey and see what you guys are up to and all that? Yeah, we've got a page on Facebook that is Sailing Nyad. Um, but other than that, we're just kind of 
that's where we just memorialize all of our photos from the trip. But yeah, we've got a website um, that's just got our tracker and AIS and just so people could see our path. Um, and we'll probably keep that up for a little while. But uh, we just kind of have a small online presence. Uh, say our boat name is Nyad, N-Y-A-D. It's kind of a weird spelling. Um, but uh, so you can check us out there. We, we're going to try and upload. We have like way more photos than we've actually uploaded. <laughs> so we've got a little bit of digging to do. We're going to try and post some more and recommendations, but uh, people are also welcome to just reach out to us. We'd ha- be happy to give people advice or if you're up in Blaine, you want to go out on the boat, <laughs> let me know. And for folks that looking to do this trip, I mean, I would definitely encourage if you're on Facebook, definitely join uh, some of the inside passage groups, um, the inside passage to Alaska or boating the inside passage to Alaska, yeah. I think is the official name is, uh, is a great group and that was a huge resource for us that's where we did our zoom calls and we actually created like a boat list of all the boats going up made a pdf with mmsis and like what your what your skills are so if someone broke down they could get asked for help and all that um and then there's alaska sailors that's a good one too a lot of good information on there so um yeah check check those out if you are planning on doing it yeah, fantastic. Thank you for sharing those tips. And, and thank you for sharing your story and your experiences. This has been wonderful. Yeah, it's nice meeting you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. We're a big fan of the podcast. It's uh, It's been helpful for us. I mean, you heard our story of like cyclical back to the boat and then off. And it's, uh, yeah, I think last year, last year, we were listening to it, like in the midst of our boat projects. And it was helped. It kept us motivated. I was like rebuilding our keel and our garage. And it was like, tons of dusty fiberglass and epoxy and it's just itchy every day and i was like listening to <laughs> the light at the end of the tunnel it was it was a good reminder for even us so thank you much there you have it thanks again to mark and sharing for chatting with me go check out their amazing photos from their trip i've linked their facebook page in the description as usual thank you for listening i appreciate you tuning in every week At the beginning of last episode, I mentioned Outer Passage and that I did a trip with them in Maine. If you haven't checked out their website yet, go have a look. And if there's an adventure that interests you, just remember that you can get 10% off by mentioning that you listen to the podcast. Darren and Amanda were my very first podcast guests ever. So their interview is season one, episode one, and I did another one with them a year later. I would love to help their sailing business grow, so I encourage you to go check them out. As usual, next week it's time for another sailing adventure, so stay tuned. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.